Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys, and I'm so grateful that you're here. Um, also to all of those watching online uh, today, good morning. Um, we are no longer pre-recording, which is a godsend to me. Um, and so it's been a long 16 months of pre-recording everything, and we would come in here on Wednesdays or Thursdays, pre-record everything. That's what got posted online, and then we'd come do live. And so it feels so good to just do live. And so, but so there are people who are watching live right now, which is great. So, um, if you are new here, uh, my name is John Wagler, and I'm a part of this Hill City team. And so grateful uh, you're deciding to spend a portion of your Sunday here with us. We are in this series um, called uh, "Won't He uh, Do It?" And so this is the sixth week of this series where we're taking a look um, in the book of Mark. And so if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, Mark is one of the four Gospels. And the Gospels actually give this presentation or these portraits of who Jesus is and what he taught. And so you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they all give a little different angle and a little different perspective on all of Jesus' teachings and his life in general. And so uh, we want to take some time here together all the way through this entire summer to just talk through Mark. Will we get through all of it? I highly doubt it as we're already behind where we're supposed to be. And, um, and that's just going to continue on. And so, um, so hopefully we'll get through the first 10 chapters or 11 chapters of Mark and then we'll pick it back up maybe at another point um, next year. But we've been in this series because we, we've just wanted to learn more about who Jesus is and what this means for our lives and increase our knowledge uh, around Jesus and what it means uh, for us. And so last week we we talked about these four soils. And, um, and, and let me actually start with this. Jesus started teaching these parables. These parables are interesting because up to this point in Mark, um, what he would begin to talk about would, would be about that the kingdom of God is near. And he starts to shift everything to what the kingdom of God is like. And it started actually in Mark chapter 4. And uh, we started looking at these parables. And these parables are wonderful ways to teach because, and it's brilliant. Because what Jesus would actually do is he would start telling these stories. And in these stories, he was doing it to, to essentially create some tension in people. So when you would start listening to one of Jesus' stories, you, if you got and understood what he was talking about, he, you, you, you meant that you were kind of in line with him, that you, were, uh, you understood him, you were part of his crew because you understood what he was saying. But the tension point was like people were feeling like, ah, oh, man, who am I in this story? Even last week when we were talking about the four soils, he's listing out these four things and you're like, who am I here? And it creates some tension in us of who we're supposed to be and, and how we're supposed to take some steps into experiencing his kingdom. And we'll start seeing this theme over and over and over again within the teachings of Jesus is this kind of idea of like who's in and who's out, right? Like, and here's what he often does. The people who think that they're in are actually out. And the people who like culturally everyone thinks they're out are actually in. And it really revolves around the heart. It really revolves around the humility, and we'll talk about that today, and, and kind of experiencing God in the right way. And so last week was about the four soils, and this week we're going to pick up uh, another story that involves like agricultural stuff with um, seeds falling and, and everything else. But here's the main idea for this morning, and that's simply this, that growth with God is definitive and certain, yet out of our control. Uh, growth with God is definitive and it's certain, yet it's out of our control. Um, how many of you guys like to be in control? It's okay. Like you can raise your hand. Yeah. Um, I, I do too. 
Like even like setting up the chairs this morning, um, Brian was helping me, uh, who's interning with us, and, and he was like, do you do this all the time? I was like, for seven years, every single week. And, um, and, and I'm anal about it. It's a running joke, and it's like space between each chair and everything else. It's a, it's a big thing. But like, I just like to control it. And it's a little cathartic to me every morning because I pray over them and everything too. But, but there's, this, there's like a little bit of a control factor that's there and everything. But here's the thing about our lives with Jesus. Like, we're not in control. We're, we're not in control. You are not, listen, you are not in control of how much you grow with Jesus. You're just not. I, I'd love to sit here and tell you if you do these 10 things, you're going to grow X amount. It's just not going to happen. And so it's interesting with Jesus. Like you just, you're not in control. And so it's, it's good. It's good right on the front end to just say that, right? So let's just say it together on the count of three. Ready? I'm not in control. Ready? One, two, three. It feels good, right? The people that know you best were like, are you listening? Right? Like, are you listening to yourself say that? So it's okay. Like, we are not in control. But I promise you this. I promise you this. And this is part of like the soil piece last week. If you cultivate the right things, your growth with God is definitive and it is certain. Okay? It's definitive and it is certain. So you just got to put yourself in the right spot. And that's what Jesus is actually going to talk about today. Um, in Matthew chapter 16, which is one of the other Gospels, um, Jesus says that he builds his church. Okay? He does. Now, what's interesting is Jesus works through people. All right? So he works through people like us. But he grows the church. He builds the church. He does the work. And when it says that in Matthew 16, it talks about that the gates of Hades will not prevail, right? So that means, um, a lot of times people think that means like in the future, but it's actually in the present too, that evil will not prevail against the church. Like right now, um, do you know where like the greatest mission field in the world is right now for like the gospel? Here. You're living in it. America. Okay? And it's, it's interesting because his church, like the church is growing rapidly all across the world. I mean, it's exploding. Like you, have, you hear stories um, about in places like China and some other areas where the church is just exploding underneath like great persecution, underneath like uh, times where like people could actually be killed for uh, their faith. Lacey and I were, and we both heard stories here recently about people who are, are, are getting like fragments of the Bible, right? They don't have access on their phones, but they're getting fragments of the Bible and they're just weeping over fragments of the Bible. That, that, like this is how serious, like they, they get it and they just start crying. They cannot believe that they have like just a piece of the scriptures, that they can begin to, to like process this and have this faith in God and they can gather together and they begin to pray over this, like just a few pages of scripture that they have. And, and it's like, man, the church begins to explode that way. Uh, do you know what the percentage-wise the fastest growing church in the world is right now? Iran. And isn't it interesting the way we think about some of these places? But yet, like, America is like the mission ground for the gospel. Like, we're, we're, we're getting to be the furthest away from the message of Jesus. Like, we're, we're on a really great track for that. But yet, in all these other places, the, the, the church is exploding. You know why? Because Jesus builds his church. And when people try to build something else, another empire, another whatever they want to do, like the church does not grow with it. It begins to separate. So Jesus builds his church and, and his church, and I promise you this, his church will grow. His message will continue to go out. And, and like that's part of what we're, we're doing here. So his growth is certain. There is no evil. There is no time. There is no, like, listen, I get it. Like there are parts of our culture that, you know, are repulsive. There are parts of our culture that be like, man, what's going on? And, and also all this stuff. And I, and I get all of that. But here is always my hope that I know that what the word of God is, what says is true. And if Jesus says he's going to build this church, he's going to build it. 
And, and here's what he's looking for. Who wants in? That's where we're at. Like, like right now, Jesus, if you were to come in here, you'd be like, all right, here's my deal. Who wants in? Like really wants in. Not kind of wants in. Like who really wants in. Like can you imagine, like how, how many of us, and, and, and this, this was convicting for me, how many of us, if I gave you a few pages of scripture, would bring you to tears and weep over it? And if I said to you, this is all you have, we begin to see, like, there's this separation of kind of seriousness with the faith, right? And you can see, like, those who really want to be in and kind of be a part of what Jesus is going to do, like, it is fertile ground right now. It's fertile ground. It's, so, it's such a cool time to be alive. Like, I know that we can get negative about a lot of different things and, and everything, but this is, like, such a cool time to, to be alive. Um, Matt and I were texting just over some random thing that was, uh, sometimes we just, for like stay curious material and everything. And he texted back to me. He's like, he's like, hey, how do you feel about being like a pastor in the next civil war? And I'm like, I mean, we're here. Why not? You know, and it's like this, this element. Now, is that going to fully happen? I don't know. But like the point is this, like there, there are elements when you look out and be like, man, it's really bad out there. But then there's this part of like when you read scripture, you're like, well, hold on a second. Jesus is always going to build this church. His gospel will always prevail. The, the same gospel, the same message, the same Jesus that weathered the storm of the Roman Empire, that weathered every dictator, that weathered every single war, that weathered all these different, it's the same gospel, the same Jesus. It's going to prevail. It's going to. But who wants to be in with it? Because it's definitive and it's certain. And I love that part of it. And so Jesus begins to teach into this because he's always trying to get people to understand this, that the kingdom of God is nothing like earthly kingdoms, right? I'm going to say this, I've probably said it, I don't know, 400 times over the last four years and in particular, but like I'm going to keep saying it until we just all like fully believe it and, and understand it, that the kingdom of God is very different than any other earthly kingdom. And once you start seeing it in scripture, you can't stop seeing it. Um, about three or four years ago, uh, I started replacing anytime I read Rome or Babylon or Syria or Egypt or Pharaoh or, um, you know, whatever, um, any empire in scripture, I just always inserted America in there. And it was just so much easier for me. It, it, it really, like, it, it broadened my perspective, like, ah, all right, this, this makes it easy for me to kind of see, like, man, this, the, the problems are always the same. It's the same stuff. And it's like, right now what we see around us, it's no worse than what it was like in Rome. And so, so it's like, we can pick up the Bible and be like, how does this end? We already know. What do we need to do? We, we already know. And, and this is how Jesus builds his church. And so, so it, it begins us to understand that like, hold on, the kingdom of God is just so different. And Jesus begins to speak into this so often. So often. So anytime we begin to see something in the Bible as you're reading, and you can pause for a second and be like, hold on, the kingdom of God is like, what? And you just pause and, and take that in. And we'll, we'll see that here today. So Mark chapter 4, um, we're going to start in verse uh, 26. And it says this. He also said, and this is Jesus speaking, that this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. He's talking about his kingdom. It's like, we, we will fall asleep tonight. You know, tomorrow when we wake up, more people will know Jesus. Isn't that pretty cool? And we'll sit back and be like, how did that happen? 
And you're like, I didn't do anything, right? Why? Because Jesus built his church. And so we see that this is how it begins to grow. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stock, then the head, then the full kernel in the, in the head. So here's what he's pointing to right here. He's like, I want you to guys to know that there's a process to your growth. All right? There, there's a process to this. Um, how many of you guys honestly are not where you want to be? If you're, if you're cool with where you're, just talk to me afterwards because you're going you're gonna to preach the second service. But like, so when we have this element of like, we're, we're not yet where we want to be, it's like there's this process and, and Jesus wants us to know it. And he's like, and you know what? It might not be as fast as you want and everything else, but there's this process. And in this process, this is how it's going to be um, working with us. And he, he continues, he says, as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And he means like there's this time of judgment that happens. And here's what's funny about God's judgment. Primarily in the Bible, God's judgment is really good. It's really good for people. Um, it brings justice or brings awareness or it allows us to understand certain things about who we are. And so his, his judgment is actually like really good. And it's this harvest time that he's talking about. He's like, hey, we're in this process and, and this is the whole theme of like, are you in or are you not? And maybe you're not as far along as you think, but I, I want you to be in. And it's, it's part of this entire process. And so again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Um, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants. Now, if you guys are really analytical, is this true? Is it the smallest seed? No. Does it grow into a large seed? No, but it's the point of the parable, okay? With, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He says it right there at that point because he wants all of us to know and the listeners to know. And he's, this is his closest disciples that he's talking with right there. And so even for us to take this part in, there are going to be some things that we just don't understand. It's part of the kingdom. Like there are some things that you just won't understand. And um, how I always think about it is if I can understand everything God can do, then it's a pretty small God. And so it should be, there should be an element to like we don't understand certain things and we should be okay with that. Because, I mean, think about it. If the creator God, if you matched up intellect with the creator God, wouldn't that be a problem? And so it's, it's important that I have that kind of base, but you know, there's gonna be some things that I just don't understand. He says, he did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. And that word explained there is the same word um, as untied. And I like that thought because when you take a step back and look where we're at right now, kind of culturally, um, we're all in knots. It feels like, it's like, you know when you pull your headphones out of your pocket? Like we just flew to, to Utah and um, for a vacation, Lacey and I, uh, this week, and um, like on the plane, I was like, all right, I'm gonna watch a movie. And so I pull it out, you guys know this, like you pull it out of your pocket and it's like, it's only been in my pocket for 30 minutes and how does it like that? <laughs> like there's no, it takes you another 20 minutes to like, figure out how to get it undone, right? And so, but that's, like, that's my mindset of kind of how I'm like, all right, Jesus is trying to untie everything for people because it's just all in knots right now. And, and like when I think about our culture, I'm like, we're just like logically speaking, we're like headphones in someone's pockets right now. And what needs to happen is Jesus needs to start explaining some things to us. 
and untie um, what needs to be there. And so um, I want to look at a few different things today because when he starts talking about this idea of a small kingdom that turns into something big, it's all these little small moments. My uh, basketball coach when I was in high school, um, he, would always, he, he would always talk about this kiss method and he'd always be like, I would call it the kiss method because you guys all want to kiss girls. You'll remember this. It's stupid. But like it's, um, this, his whole method was I want to keep it simple, stupid. Like that was like his whole thing of like what we do. And I started thinking about this like within the realm of what Jesus is talking about here and, and, and taking out the stupid part. But it's, I think when the kingdom part is real, that it's, it, we keep it simple and small. And that's just the reality. That there is this method to the kingdom of God that is simple and it's all these small moments. And you might be thinking like, so are big things bad? No, I'm not saying that. Um, we, it, relatively speaking, we have a big church in the, in the scheme of churches. Like 90% of churches are less than um, 150 people in America, okay? So in the scheme of, of church world, like we have a, a very large church. Um, in the scheme of Richmond, we're really small, if you think about it. You know, there's one point Three million people in Richmond and, you know, however many people we have in our church. So it's, in the scheme of Richmond, we're really small of the like, general population. So it's like this idea of like, I, we want to keep things simple and small. We overcomplicate things way too often. And there's this smallness that, that Jesus is always talking about. These little things. It's all these little steps, little steps, little steps that build momentum. And if you think about your own growth pattern, it's always little things, right? You might have had a little catalyst moment, but it's little things that sustain it all the time. And so Jesus is trying to get us to understand that like, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's small things. It's small things. It's simple things that begin to happen. Well, how do we begin to experience the kingdom of God? Here's the first way. We stay humble. Stay humble. Now, um, staying humble literally goes against everything in our culture. Um, you know, we live in a culture of what? Big personalities, big egos, big statements. You know, big anger, um, big division, <laughs> big hatred, like all those things. Everything's a big, 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 big. And, um, but when we take a step back for a second, we're like, all right, what does Jesus actually want? He's like, no, no, the kingdom of God is like, there's this small, simple element to it. And in order to experience that, we need humility. We need humility. Now, we can't just say we're humble. Like, you can't just be like, oh, gosh, I'm just... What's your biggest struggle? I'm like, I'm just so humble. Like, that's my biggest struggle. Like, we can't just, we can't say we're, we're humble. But we start thinking about, like, what does this actually mean uh, for our lives? One of the things that I was thinking about this week was this, is that our culture leverages pride while Jesus leverages humility. When you see, even think about Jesus up on the cross, what a humbling thing that is. A sacrifice like that to, for those that, None of us deserve. This humble way he approaches people who are hurting, the way he begins to listen, the, the humble way he um, teaches, the, the humble way he thinks about his own authority and everything. It's like, it's, it's all based humility. The things that he began to, to really try to cultivate within his followers, it was never about pride. It was never about elevating anyone to position. It was never about um, like people trying to get some kind of title or position. It was never, ever, ever about that. He was always leveraging humility because he knows that when we're humble, we will be great listeners. When we're humble, we will actually love like we should. When we're, when we're humble, we'll be willing to stay curious and, and take in people's perspectives. When we're, when we're humble, we begin to have the empathy and compassion that we should for other people. 
But man, when you start leveraging pride and ego and all this other stuff, that's where all the divisiveness comes in. That's where all the hate comes in. That's where um, all this division begins to, to come in. I, I mean, think about any group or movement or party element that's going on right now in our country. Again, it can be political, not political, whatever. Think about all the big groups and movements right now and ask yourselves, are they built off of humility? And the answer is no. They're built off of pride. They're built off of ego. They're built off of superiority. They're built off of um, some kind of like language around we're better than, whatever. Like there, there's this element that's there that Anytime that ego and pride are the driving forces or power, whatever, the driving forces in a grouping of people, you will always be led away from Jesus, away from him. And so, but that's what we see. And it's, and it's, and it's fascinating to me how often, how often um, we can jump into a group as an identity marker or jump into a group like all in on something but yet the reality is, it's like, it's not going to lead us to Jesus. It's not going to lead us to his kingdom. It's not going to, like, none of those things are reality. But yet we go all in and we, we're willing to sacrifice and sever relationships over a grouping of people in a thought process that have nothing to do with Jesus' kingdom. There's an element to this is, like, it's, it's truly insane. And we do this as Christians. I'm not even talking about, like, non-Christians. I'm, I'm talking about as Christians, we do this stuff. We're willing to sacrifice relationships and family and people and communities because we lack humility. We've bought into prideful groups and ego, egocentric groups that distract us away from the things that Jesus actually taught. When we begin to look at all of this stuff, um, there's a superiority within all these groups, right? Like if you don't agree with everything we say, then you're a bigot. If you don't agree with everything we say, then, then uh, you must hate a certain grouping of people. If you don't agree with everything we say, that, that you must not go along with the teachings of Jesus. If you don't agree with everything we say, it's like that's the, always the, the, the concept is. And there's this superior, there's this self-righteousness to what we see in our culture. And we begin to see about self-righteousness is, is this, that the more self-righteous we are, the less we experience the kingdom of God. So... The more we think we're better than someone else, the less we experience the kingdom of God. The more we think we're superior to anyone else, the less we experience the kingdom of God. Why? Because our humility is gone. It's, it's gone. And, and sometimes I, I take a step back, and um, Lacey and I were actually talking about this. Um, I don't remember if it was on our trip or if it was a week before that. Um, we were having this conversation over dinner, and it was, we're just kind of just discussing some things that we see in culture, and we're like, how do people think this is going to end? Like, let's be really loose on everything, on all morality. How do we really think this is going to end? Let's be, let's be really divisive and hateful in our speech towards one another. Like, how do we think this is going to end? But yet, people are going all in on stuff. It's like, I'm like, I, I don't, how, how is believers in Jesus, are we buying into these things? How when, we, when Jesus is like, this is what the kingdom of God is like, how do we look at some of the, some of the groups and how do we jump in so aggressively into, like, again, name a group. How do we jump in so aggressively to a group and, like, be so, like, anti-other people? Like, like, we do know that, that every single person that has ever called themselves a Christian, do, you do know that you're supposed to love one another, right? Like, 
Like, I've talked to so many pastors over the past year and a half, and, and they talk about like the political stuff within their churches and people leaving and coming or going, whatever, and getting accused of all these different things. And, and, and I'm like, it's crazy that there's a pandemic all over churches right now around politics. And you've got people like, oh, there's too many liberal people. I'm not going to go to that church. Oh, there's too many conservative people. I'm not going to go to that church. And that pastor said this. I'm not going to go to that church. Because he doesn't fully agree with what I think about politics. And I'm like, we do realize, you do realize that you're supposed to love one another. But yet somehow we've neglected to, to remember that that's what the kingdom of God is like. To, to love one another. Even in disagreement. We love one another. When you think about it this way, pride, ego, and self-righteousness create evil systems that exploit others. Humble hearts filled with grace and love will restore them. When we begin to look at the kingdom of God and experience the simplicity and the smallness of the kingdom of God, we stay humble, but we also do this. We take responsibility. take responsibility. Um, so we have three kids, and uh, the first two, Max and Nevaeh, are, are um, almost 13-year-old twins now, but when we first had them, this, it, it was still emotional when Ruby was born, because life is life, and it's like a bizarre, like, if you ever held a newborn, um, it's the craziest experience. Like, it's, like, you're like, this is unreal that God creates, like, like, it's just unreal. Like, I can't even, like, still, we've had three kids, and I can't wrap my brain around it, like, when you hold a newborn. But when Max and Nevaeh were born, um, so they're twins, and so it was shocking that the nurses put them in our car two days later. <laughs> like, you, we're driving in the car on the way home, and we're like, is this okay? Like, and you just have to keep telling yourself that like billions of people have done this. Like, do you know what I mean? Like billions of people have done this. Like I'm responsible. I'm responsible. Like billions of people have, have done this before. But it's, it's like, it's crazy that like you, like they're like, hey, this was just born. Here you go. Right? Like, and so you, you drive away and it's like this overwhelming responsibility in that moment. Like it's, it's overwhelming. You got these, for us, it's like, we've got these two small kids in the back and we're just like, you, you come home and it's like, the responsibility is crazy. It's, it's crazy. And, but what do you do as a parent in those moments? Like you're particular about every little thing, right? Like you're just like every little thing is like you're so responsible for every little thing because like you got to take care of these kids. And it's like these kids aren't going to survive. And they will. But like you, you, you hold them so tightly. It's like, oh, what are they going to break? And like, no, they, they just bend, right? But whatever. Like you just, you, you feel like the, the weight of this responsibility in, in all times. When we had Ruby, it was kind of like whatever, you know, like whatever. But like the, but you feel the weight of this responsibility. And every small little detail matters. And see, I think too often we get loose with the details with our faith. We get loose with the details of the kingdom of God. We get loose with the details about Jesus. We kind of gloss it over because we, we like the big thing. But man, if we really want to grow and stay connected, we got to be good with the details. We got to be willing to take responsibility for things. You see, when we begin to like only focus on the big parts, um, we become disengaged. We take things for granted. Even when I think about our church, you know, we started about seven years ago, and um, there was just a small grouping of us that, that started this church. 
Um, originally, it was 21 people. Um, the launch team that we had, I don't know how big it got, but maybe it got to about 50 or 60 people. And, um, and then our first Sunday, I, I actually, I don't count our first Sunday. Our second Sunday, we had 152 people um, at, you know, came to the services. We've grown since then, whatever. Um, but in the beginning, um, Everyone took every little detail so seriously. Because we're like, we're starting this church. It's like, man, it's like every chair's got to be like where it should be. It's like, wait, wait, why is that piece of garbage there? Everyone get that garbage. Like, it's like every little detail matters. And every person that came in, it was like, jump on the team. We want everyone to be on the team because like we need help. Like, da, 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 right? And, but you know, you start getting a little bit bigger. What ends up happening? It's like, oh, I could just come in and out. You kind of lose that little responsibility, like kind of element to it. And it's like, I don't, I don't know. It's like, it's fine. They, they've got plenty of people to serve. Like, you know, like, but it's like, no. It's like when we really start caring, when we really start like paying attention to the details, it doesn't matter how big we get. Like those details keep mattering because man, those little small things always matter. Those little small things always matter. So like you serving and you giving and being a part of those, like those things like deeply matter. But man, when we only concentrate on the big things, it's easy to become disengaged. So here are a few things about responsibility that I wrote down this week that maybe will be helpful. Responsible people know why they're go- um, where they are going and what accountability really is. Um, you guys heard me probably say this before, but when Lacey and I first started dating, um, she was a zillion steps ahead of me from faith-wise. Um, now we're like even. Um, no, I'm just, um, but, but she was like so far ahead of me um, um, faith-wise. And but there was a trajectory of where I was going. And so even when people now, when we start talking about dating and stuff like that, and people are talking to us, my first question is, is what trajectory are they on? And because here's what you'll know, when people are responsible with their faith, so, so if someone sits down with me and is like, man, they used to go in church, and, but I don't know where they're on their faith, they're not really doing much in their faith, they're not connected, da, 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 da. and I'm like, well, their trajectory is not going in the right place. But if you tell me that, you know, like they, were, they had a bad experience in church, but they're trying to figure faith out. They're, trying, they're just like taking these small little steps now and everything else, but they're, they're taking it pretty seriously, but they just don't know where to go. And also, I'm like, all right, there's maybe like there's some trajectory there. That could be like a really good thing. And, and so, but responsible people know where they're going. When you talk to someone who's responsible with their money, do you think their money, like, they're like, well, I don't know where it went. Now, if we're irresponsible, right, the person will be like, I don't know how I got in this much debt. So responsible people know where they're going. Responsible people know what accountability is. Um, responsible people don't care about gaining authority. We are not king. We are not in power. We are not, we're not looking for a position, any of that. Like responsible people just care about the gift that they've been given. And they take care of that gift. Like that's what it's really about. It's not about authority. It never is. I promise you, if you care about authority and you first and you care about like getting a position first, I promise you, you will hurt people. You'll be a terrible boss. You, like, but man, if, you, if it's about responsibility, it changes everything. And responsible people care about making a difference. Responsible people care about making a difference. Prideful people care about making a point. Responsible people care about making a difference. So when we begin to see and we take, all right, so if we're humble, we want to take responsibility, then for, even for us, we start thinking about all this stuff so differently. We're like, I want to listen to, to what's going on in our city. I want to hear about what's happening. I want to, like, how do we make a difference in it? 
we went down, when all the protests happened, Lisa and I went down there and actually took our kids down there too. Um, and um, did we agree with everything that was going on down there? No, we didn't agree with everything that was going on down there. Um, were there parts of it we agreed with? Yes, there were parts of it that we agreed with. Um, but why were we down there? We were down there because we felt like it was responsible of us to be down there because people are in pain and people were hurting. And we felt like if we want to make a difference, we need to engage people. We need to listen to people. We, we need to see where the pain is and where the hurt is and begin to, to talk about that. And, and what does it mean for us as a church to begin to engage it? Because I know that some of those same people that were so hurt and in so much pain um, could walk through our doors someday. And I would love for them to think that they're in part of a community that actually cares about to make a difference in this city. And so we did. And we wanted our kids to be exposed to that and everything. And it's like, we just want to listen. We don't have all the answers, but we just, we just want to listen. And we want to be responsible with this gift that God has given us. Here's the last thing. We keep going. We keep going. Part of what Jesus is teaching here is, is this process. And you keep going, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. It may not be as fast as you want, but you keep going. It may not be as big as you want yet, but you keep going. It may be a tough season for you, but you keep going. You stay in it and you keep going. You keep going. You keep going. See, those small little moments, those small little details, those responsible things, like the accountable moments, like you keep going, you keep pressing in. Like, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of people who've gone through really difficult things in their life, but if they just kept going, they then saw God on the other side. You just keep going. A lot of times what happens is we get in this church thing and... Um, you grow up in, in, in so much is focused on our guilt or your sin or your mistakes. And probably that's the most familiar thing I hear from, from people who had bad experiences is that they just got tired of feeling guilty at church all the time. And, um, and I get it. I, I really do. And because that's not like a healthy way to engage Jesus. Um, but one of the things I was thinking about this week that might be helpful is that what God is building isn't about leveraging our guilt. It's maximizing his grace. It's a whole different mindset how we begin to encounter, encounter Jesus and encounter these small things. Like, man, it's just his grace. He's going to keep building. If we just keep going, he's going to keep building. Now, let me just give you a word of caution. Don't abuse his grace. To abuse his grace is to be like, well, I'm not going to focus on the things I've done wrong and I'm just going to keep doing what I want because God's grace. That's abusing his grace. See, when we actually are maximizing his grace, what ends up happening is we have this longing to be like, I'm not focusing on my sin or my mistakes or anything. Neither is God. But there's this level of like, it's leading me to obedience. It's leading me to further surrendering of my will. And we're taking small steps in that direction. That's maximizing his grace. Um, when we begin to maximize his grace, we'll stay engaged. And um, let me just say this too. Let me end with this. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean God isn't doing a miraculous work inside of you. That's part of what he kept saying about the seed that's growing. Just because you don't see it, but if you keep going, the small little moments are going to turn into something really big. I want to end with this illustration um, because I, it's an ex incredible example of a small thing that turned into a massive thing. 
Um, I was reading about um, some, some enslaved people in our country here in, in the 1800s and, and this incredible story that began to happen. And I didn't even know this was fully a thing um, until recently. And I was reading about the story that what would end up happening is I have this plastic cauldron here. Um, if you can imagine this, way bigger and cast iron. Um, here's what ended up happening. These enslaved people would um, take these big pots, these big kettles, and their slave owners um, wouldn't allow them to pray or sing. And so what they would do is they had this longing because they believed in a God of liberation and a God of freedom. And um, they had this longing. Some of them began to know scripture a little bit. And uh, in this passage in Revelation 5 was uh, this passage that talks about these bowls. And in these bowls were the, the prayers of God's people. And that eventually that, that Jesus would release the prayers. And when the prayers were released, what ends up happening is every tribe and every nation and every tongue would come to be part of God's family and reign here on this earth. And so they believed that they would take these pots and, and here's what they would do because they knew that if they would be heard praying or singing, um, they would build these, they would wet these quilts around them and uh, they knew that if they would, that their, their slave master would hear them singing and often these slave masters were supposedly Christian, um, but, but they knew if they would hear them that they would get beat or maybe even killed. And so what they would do is they would take these large pots and they would put them on the ground and they would all, they would tilt it up a little bit and they would all gather around on the ground, laying down on the floor and they would sing into these pots because they knew they would muffle the sound. But here's what else they believed, that, that the more that they would gather around, they would begin to sing into the pots, that these prayers would get stored up, and then eventually God would turn these bowls over. And it would be released. And so every tribe and every tongue and every person would come to know Jesus and worship together. And so years after year after year, they would begin to, to do this. And then eventually, these prayers started building up. And in 1857, in Charleston, South Carolina, there was this, actually this white um, pastor um, who just, he had this huge heart uh, for people and for poor and disenfranchised people and marginalized people and for en enslaved. And so his church actually, um, his name was John uh, Guerrero, I think it was. And his church in Charleston, South Carolina had 48 enslaved um, people and just 12 white folks. And so they all got together one day and they said, we need to start praying and so they started praying together. And um, so the 60 of them started praying. And after six weeks, um, over 2,000 people started gathering together with them. White and black. This was not happening anywhere else. And it started changing people's families and changing hearts towards one another and everything. And then here's what ended up happening. Then the, those prayers started like resonating. And someone else in New York um, started hearing about it. And these six people up in New York started gathering together doing this and started praying together nightly. After eight weeks, 5,000 people started gathering together with them. And this massive thing started happening. Why? Because it started off small. It was humble people gathered around, believing in the kingdom of God, and that if they just committed, if they were just humble, if they just took responsibility for what they had, that they knew, if they just kept going, they, they knew that Jesus is going to build his church. They knew that something would be released. And so I think for us, I think about this, um, we have guys like Don Coleman in our city. Some of you guys don't know him, but he's someone who's been praying in this city for decades. And he took me aside um, several months ago, and um, he, he said this. He said, I pray for your, you and your church often because, um, you know, Hill City and a few others, you guys are uh, the answer to prayers decades before you were ever in existence. 
He said, we've been longing for churches to come in and get involved. We've been longing for churches to step into this mess in the city. We've been longing for churches who want to make a difference. I know the vision you, you guys had on your hearts, you, you felt like God placed that to you, but I'm telling you that you, that is based off of 10, 20 people that have been praying in the city for decades and decades and decades for more churches like yours. I just sat there and I was just like, holy cow. It puts things into perspective of just like these small little things that begin to be getting released in bigger ways. Every week, we just want to give everyone a pro time to process. And um, so we're going to do that for a minute here, and the band will come back up. So here's what I want you guys to do in this minute. Begin to start thinking about, for you, what part of this, like, have you gotten a little too self-righteous? Maybe you haven't, you've lost your humility, or maybe you're not taking responsibility, or maybe you've decided, like, I, I, I can't keep going anymore. But we want to take a minute here and just be like, what's God impressing on your heart right now? And then we're going to sing uh, one more song. So take a minute and then we'll sing.